back and live. I'm Jimmy Krupka, and welcome to Arc City. We are back. It feels good to be in the booth again, I must say. If you don't know me, my name is Jimmy Krupka, and I am an aspiring podcaster. I'm also a member of the Land Rover U.S. Ski Team, first time this year, so I'm very excited. A little bit about me, I love ski racing, and I love talking to ski racers who love ski racing, and I love making podcasts for people who love to listen to ski racers who love ski racing talk about ski racing. So, if you listen to Ski Racing Media's official podcast that I used to host called Ski Racing This Week, you know me. You know I've talked to some pretty big names, Darren Rawls, Lucas Broughton, Lindsey Vaughn, to name a few. You know that I did a few deep dive reports. And you know that I ultimately stepped away from the podcast because I needed to focus solely on skiing this summer. Well, I put my work in. I gained my 15 pounds. I did my GS turns. But I still got an itch. Couldn't scratch it, so the podcast is back. This time, I decided to strike out on my own with the help from U.S. Ski and Snowboard and with the sponsoring of Spider Active Sports. Thank you both. Shout out. And so, welcome to Arc City. I will never proclaim myself the mayor of Arc City. I'm just a guy with a microphone in, in a little apartment somewhere, I like to think. But here we are, and there is nothing left to say except that I am glad to be here talking about the greatest use of gravity ever invented with the one and only Olympian extraordinaire, icon of American ski racing, and certified fun expert, Julia Mancuso. Without further ado. Julia, thanks for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to listen and talk to you about skiing. Yeah. Well, speaking of which, have you talked much about skiing these days now that you're retired and, and not, you know, in the mountains all the time? Uh, well, I always have my finger on the pulse trying to figure out what, where I see myself working in the mountains. Of course, I love to ski and I love being a part of just everything. <laughs> it's so much a part of who I am. So yeah. Um, I guess recently it's more just up in the air because I was taking a small break while having my first kid, Sunny. So I, I took the beginning of the winter off to be followed by a forced rest of the winter off because of the whole COVID thing. So, um, so yeah, I just definitely am excited about skiing and doing my own podcast now i'm starting mm -hmm. to talk to more skiers yeah. and of course watch the opening world cup in solden which was fun oh so you, so you watched it so luckily yeah living in hawaii it seems so far away from the snow but we get to watch the first run before going to bed because that's about 9 45 or 10 our time so oh, i at least get perfect. to watch a few of the first skiers uh-huh oh nice was it was it fun to, to watch do you, do you still miss it when you watch uh when you watch it I definitely miss it. I think there's nothing that you can ever compare to being alone on a course mm -hmm. and preparing yourself like for Solden, for example, it's just such a steep, gnarly hill. And I remember the nerves getting ready for that and also the challenge of it. So mm -hmm. it's fun. I miss it for sure. Yeah, it's cool. So you mentioned your son. He's what he's like a little over a year now or how old is he? He's yeah, he's 15 months. And do you, uh, so we start, is he starting to get kind of a personality and like, do you, do you see any of yourself in him? I mean, I think he's getting a lot of my personality traits as far as just going with the flow. He's mm -hmm. definitely, and being stubborn, um, I like to think, but also him just being excited. I think that he watches myself and my husband, Dylan and and watches how we interact with each other and how we love going to the beach and just being outside in nature in general. And he really loves it. So he started to walk recently and cool. he knows like, because he started to walk, I put shoes on him. And so now he sees his shoes and I think it's pretty common for toddlers to do this, but he grabs his shoes and runs over to me and wants me <laughs> to put them on. And then once I put them on, he runs for the stairs. So I think he just wants to be outside and going a hundred percent full on all the time. That's awesome. Do you, do you think he'll ski? Is 
Um, I know he'll ski, no, but I don't know if he'll ski race. I yeah. mean, I think it's like, it's so funny because I was actually having a conversation with Bodie the other day saying mm-hmm. when we were talking about kids and he was the first thing he said is like, I don't want my kids to be ski racers. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought about it myself and I kind of say the same thing and I know it sounds super weird, but depending on if it's a girl or a boy, like I see men's ski racing as being so difficult and I think women's ski racing is really difficult also, but to be a female athlete, you are still part of a smaller group of people and mm-hmm. there's not as much pressure, I don't think. I mean, you still huh. have to give what it takes to get to the top, but I see men's ski racing and I see all you guys just like killing yourself to get to the top. And I think it's really hard. So I Mm. agree with Bodhi. Like, I'm not sure I would ever push my kid into ski racing, but I would 100% naturally support that path and do whatever I can if that's what he chose. So I'm going to get him in the mountains for sure. And I don't know if we'll live in the mountain, you know, for the whole winter, but he's definitely going to get enough time to explore and figure out if he loves it or not. Uh Uh-huh. So you guys, you live in, in Maui part-time and then kind of in Fiji part-time. And so, so we surfs a lot too, right? You guys, I mean, you guys surf a lot. Yes. Yeah. We surf a lot. I think that's because being a ski racer and just spending so much time in the cold, it's like the best escape to be in the water and the warm water for that. And surfing is so much like skiing because you just have the freedom of gravity and the, in the moment where you know everything's free all you get to focus on is your athleticness and skills and predicting how the water is gonna react it just um reminds me of skiing so much without the equipment and the cold so yeah well because i was gonna i was gonna ask you specifically about surfing versus skiing because i've gotten hooked on surfing um over the course of you know the past few years and it does it there's something about it. it seems like and I've taken my teammates, we've all gone surfing together and everyone is addicted to it. And it seems like there's this connection with skiing and surfing. Well, I think it's the reason why we all love skiing so much are the reasons why you love surfing. And it was, you know, for everyone growing up in the mountains, it was a sport that you weren't really exposed to maybe as a kid because you spent all your time in the mountains and you learned to do the things that you love in the mountains. But Mm -hmm. I really compare it to be so similar because it's just like skiing. You ski down the mountain. So you get the chairlift to hang out with your friends and, you know, take in the nature, which is the same thing as sitting in the lineup. You know, you're not going to be surfing a wave all the time. And then there's the adrenaline factor. It's always, no matter what size the wave is, the joy of the glide will always bring you some sort of euphoria and adrenaline, just like skiing, depending on how difficult the run is you're taking. So I I think that's why we love it. Yeah, that's a great answer. And it gets me stoked on on both of those sports. So let's, I want to skip ahead to, uh, you know, normally I go through where you born, blah, blah, blah. But, but I want to get right to the good stuff because I was looking at your story, kind of refreshing my brain. And I didn't realize your first World Cup was at 15 years old. Um, and then your first World Cup points were at 17. You know, I just wanted to ask you about like, was it kind of a tough transition to just like being so young and suddenly just thrown onto this World Cup circuit? Well, I was very excited. I remember training for the early season with Lindsay because me and Lindsay are the same age. So Mm -hmm. we were training and skiing really well. I had gone to New Zealand to get points so I could, you know, I, I knew the drill. You start with 990, like easier points in New Zealand. So I had gone there and Lindsay hadn't. So I already had a little bit of an advantage going into those earlier races and we were skiing super fast. And I remember Lindsay together, it was like, oh, my dad said that we could totally race World Cup now. And I thought I was like, oh yeah, so I was so excited to race uh-huh. World Cup. And I happened to ski really fast in Noram. So I got the World Cup spot and I remember just being totally blown away. It was so outside of my comfort zone. I was so used to just racing. I mean, fist races were already a step up, but they were still similar. You know, the conditions weren't perfect. Yeah, It was snowing. There were ruts. And then you get into this World Cup. I was running in like the 60s and 
it's really hard snow. And I remember running 60th. It was like a perfect slope. There was not even a rut or groove Mm -hmm. to my memory. And so I just remember not skiing well because I didn't know what to do. I was like, oh my God, (laughs) I never ski on this perfect of snow. And that sort of happened that whole first year. I remember being like, oh my God, this is way too perfect. And the course with, I used to joke a lot about we needed to train our brains to see all the gates because when you got to a world cup and I don't know why it was so much different, maybe because you have the banners and it's all so perfect, but I just always felt like there were so many flags and I know that's changed now for slalom. They don't uh-huh. have to set the outside pole, but oh, I Oh, cause they were setting the outside gates back then. Yeah. So uh-huh. you look at this like perfect white ribbon full of gates and it was and no, really and no marks on the course. Yeah, it was yeah. difficult for me to adapt to where I was starting the turn and what was going on. Everything always looked way turnier, so I ended up huh. turning too much. But huh. yeah, moral of the story, it did take a while for me to get my first World Cup points because I just never really felt super comfortable or confident. Uh-huh. It always was this show. It's like, oh my God, I never skied to my potential. I always found myself just getting super nervous and wanting to ski perfectly thinking like if I ski perfect, I can make a second run. And instead I would just perfectly ski myself. I mean, as a ski racer, you know how it is. Those runs where you think you're like having the perfect form and the perfect line while you're always really slow. Yeah. You know, that resonates a lot with me because I've experienced that where I get to a high level race and I go, okay, now I've got to be perfect. And I'm so focused on, you know, I actually um, talked to Bridger Guile who raced and sold in his, it was his first World Cup race, you know, a couple days ago. And he said, I was so focused on my skiing, like he skied awesome, but he just didn't race it. Um, so when did yes. you really like, like just send it? Was there, a, would you remember a moment where you're like, I'm just going to send it? <laughs> I think it just, it just happened. happened like, I got more experience. I started racing in Europa Cups and started realizing that I was getting faster. But um, it definitely comes down to confidence. I always say that skiing really is 99% mental, especially the more time you you train at a World Cup level, the more Mm -hmm. you see your teammates skiing really well and fast, and the more you see times being, you know, similar. Or you train with someone who wins all the World Cups and you're right there with them so you start to get those experiences and you realize like what's separating us on race day and there's a couple factors i for sure think it's about nailing your first run because when you're training you get all the chances in the world and it's never just the first run counts and Mm -hmm. let's be honest conditions aren't always perfect the first run you know if the snow's soft the course gets better or Mm -hmm. it just gets different so um being in a race is just having confidence in your first run. So that's mental and then executing it, which again is totally mental. So, um, for me, it was just gaining more and more confidence because the races where I knew I was going in there to win, I would go for the win. And then all of a sudden in world cups, if I was standing in the start going to try to make top 30, I would try to make top 30 and that's just a totally different mindset. So yeah. the best advice I always give younger racers is go into that race to win. Don't already look at your heroes as you're inspecting and think, Oh my God, I'm racing with them. Yeah. Think like, wow, I'm going to beat you because you have to start there because otherwise if you start thinking you're, you know, hoping you'll get within two seconds or something, then you've already lost. Yeah. And so the first time I really sent it, I mean, <laughs> I always just surprised myself. I think having a crazy race, like where I actually made second run would be, um, a lot of the times just trying to say like, I'm not focusing on this. I'm just focusing on skiing, whatever happens. So I felt like a lot of my best results came from moments of discouragement where I just said, you know, like stop thinking and just go for it. And then I uh-huh. would, Find the freedom and speed to get me into the second run. So you you would just say, screw it. I don't care what happens. I'm just going to ski. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> I mean, I definitely got better and better at that. But in the beginning, it was really hard. And it was that crazy bit of luck. You know, things clicked. And I got a couple World Cup points. And then just kept on improving on that. So I think another part of that 
story, the moral of that story is really celebrate your wins, no matter how small they are. Mm -hmm. And I remember even for me looking back, I would look at the splits, um, you know, the analysis and I would look at my times and I would see that I was improving in certain sections and I would take that and I would, you know, let's say I was trying to make top 30 and I saw I was like 25th in that one split. I would take that small victory instead Mm -hmm. of looking at the day like it was a failure and be like, I knew that I could ski fast because I did it there. Like I was good enough in that section. So just continuing to improve on little baby steps, which, you know, adds up in the long run because your confidence will slowly start to build. Hmm. You know, I like that because I've heard people talk about you know, the champion mindset, you know, like the Michael Jordan, the Kobe Bryant mindset is never be satisfied. And I think it's also important to remember, like, especially in ski racing, it's easy to get bogged down because so much of ski racing is like, quote unquote, failure if if you're not winning. And I think it's, you know, really important to take those small victories. Well, for sure. I mean, ski racing, you're constantly surrounded by failure because we have so many chances. So you're a hero one morning and you're back to zero the next. Like you always have to move on. So I think in the big picture, like never be satisfied because you never want to give up. You never want to just take it easy because you're there. Exactly. Um, In that aspect, yes. Yeah. For sure. But it's always good to celebrate small victories and to build your confidence because if you're never satisfied, you're never going to be completely confident in yourself. And it's not just about ski racing. It's about attitude as well. And, and no matter what your time is on the hill, you have to have confidence in yourself as a person. I think that for me, at least the times where I had success, I also was doing a good job in my personal life. And I think sometimes people mm-hmm. underplay what's going around a lot. Sorry, people underplay what is going on around them in their personal life, mm-hmm. thinking it's not going to affect them on the slopes. But it really is you. You're the athlete. You are the person who needs to perform. So you need to sort of have everything around you going well. That's not to say you can't do well if things aren't, but if you have other things going on, it's really good to address them and try to work constantly on yourself to be a better person in general. And Mm -hmm. I think that will help you perform on the hill. Yeah. And that's maybe something that, you know, you know, youth coaches kind of, you know, people, people kind of forget that it's, you know, as an athlete, you're a human being. It's not just what you're doing on the hill that's affecting your performance. Yeah, exactly. You have to like, I mean, that's what's so awesome about ski racing too, is there's a lot of character building and you're set out on your own from a very young age, even if it's just being on your own, getting to the top of the race hill when you're, you know, eight years old, there's so much responsibility you have to take from a young age. And so you start to learn a lot. And then if you start to just focus on the racing part, you can forget that it's all going to help you improve like every little thing, making the right decisions, Mm -hmm. just being happy in general can really help you be a better ski racer. Yeah. So you were especially good at performing under pressure and and we'll get to that. I've got a whole laundry list of stats, but how you mentioned staying happy, like what, what were kind of the tools you used or the things you did off the hill or on the hill, like during the season to like stay in a positive mindset? Well, (laughs) I think about that a lot. I mean, I know for sure my mom, she really instilled a lot of life life lessons on me to always try to stay positive and put the stop sign on negativity because your thoughts do become things. So um, I read something recently that said, you know, we are inherently negative like our thoughts go to negativity very easily as human beings yeah as human Mm -hmm. beings so we have to constantly work on being positive and so it's not abnormal to have negative thoughts but it's very easy to train yourself that that is not your reality so you know I think a lot of my um a lot of bad results brought me into trying to get positive. I think when I look back at my whole career, anytime I was having issues with my performance, I focused even more on what I want instead of focusing on what I don't want. So I spent a lot of time Mm. journaling, but not just about 
how I want to ski, also about, you know, how I want to win and putting big picture things out there so that I could focus on how that would make me feel. Would it make me happy? And, and if you take yourself into that moment of crossing the finish line and seeing the green light and knowing that you won the race and focusing on how that made you feel, mm-hmm. taking those feelings with you throughout the day, like, and also focusing on other things, like maybe it's not winning, but what makes you really happy? You know, for me, I ended up in Maui when I was 20, 21. So I was spending a lot of time in the ocean and that made me really happy. So I would think of the moments that made me really happy, like that wave that I caught in the summer or the powder Mm. run that I took. I mean, ski racing is fun, but it isn't like the memories, the pure joy that you remember of part of those turns. But like for me being in the mountains and getting an epic powder run in Alaska, that is like, I can think back to that and think of how happy I was. So Uh taking those moments of pure joy and bringing them into my everyday practice and bringing my mind there when I wasn't doing well, that's kind of how I tried to stay positive. I like that because those, those moments of pure joy, those powder runs and those, and those, you know, waves, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it's like, that is kind of the essence of like, what is happening when you're just ripping skiing basically on a, in, on a course. Yeah. I mean, if your body, I just think your body performs better when it's, when it's, um, vibrating at the highest frequency possible. So when your cells are just charged with positivity, you're mm. going to have an easier time connecting with your flow. And so I, just went over that a lot of times anytime I was negative I would focus even more on the positive and what I wanted in my life and I still do that I try to focus on the positive of what I want and it's really easy to get stuck on focusing what you don't want but I think that what you focus on you know gets larger so you definitely want to focus on what you want and um yeah with skiing I think for me I also had a lot of compassion for failure so focusing too much on success in the moment and just being upset if I didn't get that success. And like, don't get me wrong. I was very disappointed when I had bad performances, (laughs) but on, on a big picture level, I always felt like focusing on what I really loved. And I love that I had this opportunity to travel the world and to ski and make friends and do what I love. And so, um, you know, I tried not to let those, failures mess with that because I knew also that if I'm one of 100 girls, I mean, it's not quite a hundred, but 60, 70 racers Mm -hmm. and I'm going to let this affect me. Like I'm going to come down and if I'm upset with 10th place, if I'm upset with last place, whatever, there's 70 other people that are dealing with their emotions on how they finished that competition as well. And so it just doesn't seem fair to be pouting over a hundredth of a second or letting that really affect your day. So instead of getting really down, I would just try to move on and realize for myself, focus on the reason why I love being there. And I just, I love competing. I love being in the mountains and I love going fast and Mm -hmm. not to let the seconds or split seconds affect my overall attitude. Yeah. So, and, but, and we talk about how ski, skiing has so much quote unquote failure, like, you know, if you don't win, which doesn't happen every time, were there any periods? Cause you know, I, I think most ski racers have experienced this where you kind of go into a slump or a hole or whatever you want to call it. Do you, and, and they're not really fun to recall, but do you remember any of those periods and kind of how it felt and kind of how you got out of it? Well, I remember them well because it seemed like it always happened on the Olympic years. I was like skiing so well and then just something would happen. So the first, my first successful season, I just like, you know, for me, it was the dream season was in 2005. I was unranked and I went to fifth in the world in GS and I won two world championship bronze medals and 
I was just on fire and I finished the season strong. It was amazing. And then the next year I had so many expectations and I just struggled. (laughs) Oh, the worst. And I, then I forgot my boots. I, I, it's like, I don't know how, and I couldn't replicate the footbed in those boots and they were, um, just chasing me around Europe and I was in my head, like my equipment didn't work. And then, you know, it was the Olympic year. So I was just trying to stay positive because I knew that there was more. And of course, you know, I was still getting, you know, top 10, 15, top 15, but I wanted to be winning. I was in the top seven. I was ranked in the top seven in GS and I had podiums in speed events and I, I wanted to be on the podium again. And then, um, yeah, it was a big slump and I had to stay positive. I just really, had to know that sticking to my path. And of course I worked on positive mindset, but I knew that I had to just keep going because I put in all the work and I put everything, like all of my goals aligned and everything was getting ready for those Olympics. And I had to make it there. I had to see this through and do the best that I could every day. And, Mm -hmm. um, sure enough, the weeks leading up to the Olympics, I started getting on the podium again. And then, um, you know, more disappointments through the Olympics because I was skiing really well in the speed events and stuff happened and I didn't end up on the podium. And, um, you know, I decided to sit the slalom out because I kind of knew I had a spot at the, at the Olympics. I, yeah. At the yeah. Olympics. I knew that I wanted to put more energy into the GS, but I also was just really sick of being at the Olympics. It's hard to compete in all five events and that's what I was planning on doing. And I, you know, decided to sit out the slalom so I could perform in the GS, but I had no idea that I would win a gold in the GS. That was unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Um, it was definitely like going into that was a slump. And then fast forward four more years, I had a back injury the year before the 2010 Olympics, mm-hmm. dealt with it over the summer, but still didn't have the results I wanted until the Olympics. So, um, wow. Same thing four years later going into Sochi had a great season the year before. And then all of a sudden I changed boots and then I was in a slump going into those Olympics. So, um, I definitely feel like the work that I did on the mental side of things helped me get back to the podium in all of the Olympics. But, Mm -hmm. um, I I definitely dealt with the slumps and I wanted, I wanted to quit. I wanted, I didn't know what was going on. I just couldn't believe it. It was kind of the same thing. Never be satisfied. I mean, I wasn't necessarily satisfied the years before and I tried even harder, but maybe I missed something because things were going too well. I don't know. But then I sometimes wonder if I never would have gotten those medals if I didn't have those little slumps. So I was going to ask you that. Do you think it's an odd question, but do you think that you that that's just kind of who you were like kind of slumps were just you know you can't you can't unentwine slumps with your with all your medals is that's just that's just how it how it works yeah i mean it's it's hard because i would say if i compared it to world championships when i was in the world championships i wasn't in a slump and i mm-hmm. got those medals but i also expected more and going into the world champs because i was skiing well i walked away with like a silver here and there and a bronze and stuff Mm -hmm. but i felt like i was in a position to win and i definitely um didn't and so yeah i mean even in sochi i just had the best downhill run for the combined and it was almost like this relief i got a bronze medal after being just completely out of it. I mean, I was barely getting top 20. I was really struggling that season. Uh And I got that win in the first, the downhill portion of the combine. And when I went into the downhill, it was almost like I was too ready because I pushed it a little too hard and then ended up, you know, out of the medals. But I, I look at it now, I'm like, oh my God, I was skiing good enough to win then. And I kind of blew it. So for sure it could be the slumps that, um, that brought me to the top of the podium because if I was skiing too well, maybe I wouldn't, maybe I would have lost my focus or made excuses because it's like, oh man, I missed it. Cause you know, sometimes when you're on top of the world, it's, 
it's like we're our own worst enemy all the time. And so for me, I definitely know that I've learned way more in my failures than my successes. Yeah, that's interesting. So I want to talk about like you're performing under pressure because I want to actually give this 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 um, list I have here just for the listeners, just they understand like at at Junior Worlds for four years you 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 won a medal and you've got um eight total medals from world from junior worlds and then you went on to world championships and you have five medals from world championships and you have four medals from the olympics and if you combine your world champs and olympic starts you have 40 starts and 23 percent of the time you medaled which is just an absurd statistic and so obviously you're you're great at performing under pressure and kind of my question would be like do did all of those medals feel different when you were in the start or were you able to just kind of find the same like um you know under cool under pressure kind of feeling (laughs) yeah that is a good um that is a good question. It's definitely a crazy statistic, but I don't know. I always felt like world championships and Olympics were really special and you had a little extra time and the world cup was just a grind. Like for me, it was like, okay, another race, another race. And I don't know if I necessarily didn't put enough pressure on myself or Mm -hmm. focus, or if I, um, just was more excited about the big events, but I know that. So you just got excited for the big events. It was something new and different. Yeah, I think I, I'm like the kind of I was always the athlete. Like even my coaches said, you have to keep Julia interested. Like I'm the kind of <laughs> athlete that needs to be having fun, and they need a challenge. Like I, that's why I kept doing five events because I loved the challenge of slalom, even though I never got better than tenth place. I. Mm-hmm you know, wasted all of that time and probably my body to try and do this sport that most people specialize in and train year round, just getting so many gates in. And I would just be like, I need to do this. So um, I think I just always wanted a challenge. I loved the challenge. And also part of the special events, you got time to sort of relax and train things and work on them. Whereas, um, you know, the World Cup grind doing all events, it would just be going from one event to the other and there's no real training blocks in between. Oh, okay. um, as I was older, and I focused more on speed and GS, but, um, you know, most of my career, I was just going from one race to the next. And when Olympics and World Championships came around, we would get the two weeks off before, the week off before, and I would mm-hmm. get to fine-tune my equipment. And um, also a lot of the mountains that those events are held at were normally places you didn't go every year. That would be a new mountain like Whistler, you know, we never raced in Whistler. So I think that was part of it. That's why I loved super G as well, because you only got to get one inspection and then go for it and it's Mm -hmm. still high speed. So, um, I think that aspect was always one of my strengths. Do you, do you, did you ever get scared in speed or were you someone that just kind of sent it? Um, I mean, I got nervous, but yeah, I was always more excited the more difficult it got. Yeah. (laughs) I liked a good challenge. That's cool. Well, kind of shifting a little bit, I wanted to talk about your earlier life, kind of doing like a opposite um, timeline here. But was skiing always like life to you? Was was that always like you were like, I'm going to be a ski racer? Um, Or was it? Was it kind of a progression like later on? Um, No, I loved skiing as a young kid. I was always very interested in the Olympics just because I grew up in Olympic Valley and I naturally just wanted to travel the world. And so I don't know if it was a decision I made. Like I definitely didn't know I would ski till I was 34, 33, like past, you know, well into my 30s. I for sure thought it was just something I would do for a little while. But um, the more I did, you know, the more I skied, the more I traveled the world, the more I enjoyed it. And I didn't really see a reason to stop. So I'm glad I went on that 
uh, career path. But yeah. I think as a kid, like now there's a lot more information out there. It's easier to see, oh, this could be a career for me. Um, and when I was a kid, I had no idea. I didn't know about the World Cup or anything. So I think there was a lot more natural passion. I just like wanted to ski and have fun. Gotcha. Do, would you, because it's kind of part of your childhood, would you mind if I asked you about your father? Um, no, it's fine. Um, because I, I know that he um, went to prison when you were young, and I, and I was just wondering, like, if how that affected your life. And, and, um, I, and I, I've heard you've had a, a great relationship with him now. And um, it's kind of how it affected your life and how it affected your skiing, and if you kind of brought any of that into your skiing. Um, I mean, I honestly felt like I was so young when all that happened. I know it had a big part of my reason to want to spend time in the mountains and, and alone, like mm -hmm. alone, but not alone, like go to ski team. I just love that. I like to put my energy into something else. Like I didn't want to sit home with my thoughts. Mm. Um, and it was hard, but I think a lot of the traits that it brought me was for sure resilience, um, yeah. I was very resilient and hard-headed and stubborn as a kid, which made me train really hard too, because that was what I loved to do. And, um, but yeah, I don't know. I think it's like also taught me how to turn off the noise because hmm. as a kid and when your parent, when your, you know, father is in the newspaper because they went to jail, you know, mm -hmm. kids are talking and making fun of you or whatever. And that was when I started not caring what people thought of me because it, like you just, also yeah. it was easy for me to separate because I'm like, that's not me. Sure. You're going to be mean to me because my dad did something that I have nothing to do with. Like, okay. Mm. And I think that just taught me a lot of resilience and how to really just stand up for myself and follow the path that I believed in. Yeah. And, and I've always thought of you as someone who, who really does their own path and doesn't care what anybody else is saying about them. I think that's, that's kind of your brand. Like you're just like, you know, this is me, which is cool. As you got older, um, <clears throat> you went to the, the Park City, you went to Park City, uh, the Ski Academy in Park City, right? Yeah, yeah, the Winter Sports School. Mm -hmm. And then and did you finish high school? Were you doing um, school and World Cup? Were you kind of making that all work? Um, yeah, well, I knew from a young age that I wanted to prioritize skiing, so I did a lot of independent study when I was younger, and I was able to finish school when I was 16, so okay. I raced my World Cup in Park City the same weekend I graduated from high school in Park City, so that was kind of fun. That I bet that was a fun week. Yes, it was a very fun week. That's cool. Um, okay, so now that we did our little trip to the past, I'm going to... I hope my listeners forgive me. I'm going to circle back to your career just briefly because I, I, there were a few more questions I wanted to ask. In particular, I know you've dealt with some injuries um, and some pretty tough ones. That last one in particular where I remember you, your hip was, was so – you were so injured that you had a tough time walking and yet you were still skiing that last year of your career and – I just wanted you to maybe talk a bit about like that, you know, because most people would have said, you know what, if I can't walk that well, I, I'm going to be done skiing. But you were determined to come back. Um, and so I just wanted to ask you about that. And yeah. Well, I'm definitely a dreamer. That is my um, another trait. I feel like I set myself a goal, whether it's lofty or not. Mm -hmm. um, and I want to see it through. So yeah, I having an injured hip is really weird and difficult because it was a chronic injury. It wasn't like I crashed and I was trying to come back from a torn ACL or something. Mm -hmm. It was this overuse and, you know, I was born with hip dysplasia. So it was just something that I've been dealing with for a really long time. And I had surgery after the Olympic year in 2006 when I was 21 and I was able to come back from that, but it was really hard. The next season started really slow and I was in a lot of pain. And then all of a sudden I woke up one morning and I went from getting last place in Lake Louise to winning the world cup. So I think I had that in my mind that I'm going to do this again. It doesn't yeah. matter if I can't walk very well. I'm yeah. in a lot of pain, but 
I'm going to see this through and who knows one morning I might, might just wake up and feel good. And the mechanics of walking are so much more difficult on your hips than skiing. Skiing yeah. really is all about locking your hips in position and, and, you know, using the muscles and it's not as grindy mm-hmm. as walking the walking motion. So I was just trying to stay positive and yeah. I thought I could get through this and yeah, it was really difficult, but I'm really glad I did because I looked back and, you know, the, my only other option is I should have considered getting a hip replacement before because I possibly could have raced on it. I mean, I feel amazing. I feel better now. My hip is better now than it was when I was 17 when I mm-hmm. first started noticing the so injury. You, so you did get a hip replacement after um, retiring. After I retired, mm-hmm. yeah. But looking back, I'm like, oh, maybe I should have done that and tried because if I got really strong, I would have thousand percent have been safer than I was skiing I look back I'm like oh my god I was crazy but it was my path that I needed to go through and I you know had earned the ability to be there with my world cup spot and Mm -hmm. everything with the U.S. ski team so I'm glad that I went through the process because it would have been a really sad thing for me personally to end my career without getting to do my final run or getting to experience life on the road again. Yeah. It it must've, I mean, I, I remember being impressed like, wow, that's some serious grit and I'm sure it it felt good to kind of go out on your own terms. Um, Yeah, it was hard. I mean, I was really slow and I, I would have, but I still would have these moments where I would have these runs where I'm like, Oh, my body's starting to feel back to normal, Mm -hmm. but, and I could see improvement, but I would get to that spot and I would, you know, feel good and finally be like within, you know, coming back from injury, like four seconds out, whatever. But then I would just get worse. It was like, that was the perfect run for me. And I was just kept hoping that that would close the gap, close the gap. And it mm-hmm. just never would. I started to go backwards, but that's what I told myself. I'm like, okay, as long as I'm improving, I can keep doing this, even if it's a two year path. Mm-hmm. But the second I start going backwards, I need to stop and that's pretty much what happened the second season back when I was, you know, my first season, I was just feeling things out. I got to four on a few world cups and then the next season, um, you know, probably doing all the things that I was told I was supposed to do, you know, like lift heavier weights, do yeah. this to get prepared. That was all the stuff that actually tore me apart even more. And really? so going into the next season, like I felt worse, oh. things were getting worse. Every race was getting worse. And mm. so by Cortina, which was right before the Olympics, I decided like there's absolutely no way I'm going to make it to the Olympics. Mm-hmm. So that must have been kind of tough then. But I mean, I don't know. I mean, it was hard, but it's better than, I mean, it's hard. It's always going to be hard, but mm-hmm. it's not like I missed out by a hundredth of a second. It's not like I can look back and be, regret one single moment because mm-hmm. it was just this giant project that I just didn't end up being able to, yeah. you know, get past, but it was, yeah. So I think in a lot of ways it was hard, but it would have been even harder if like everyone on the US ski team was doing so well and there just wasn't a spot for me on the team because I wasn't quite back. That I think would have been even harder. Mm-hmm. So talking about your career, it's hard to talk about your career and not talk about Lindsey Vons because you know, you guys, you both had these injuries and you both had this Olympic success and you started the same age. You talked about, you know, at Copper being like, oh, I want to start the World Cup. And what I've heard is that you and Lindsay were just very different people. And I, I don't know, I didn't hear if there's any friction or not, but I just know that you guys were both extremely successful and you and you had a very different way of going about it. And, and I just wanted to ask if that was accurate and, and how so. Yeah, I mean, I think we started as being you know we both went to eric seiler's camp and she came and stayed with me we were close friends and we've always had a really close relationship but almost Mm -hmm. like your competitive sibling rivalry because Mm -hmm. we'd have our ups and downs and like you know of course get upset at the other person you know fueled by jealousy i'm certain of it which is always i feel like jealousy is also the best form of flattery because it means you want something that Mm -hmm. the other person has if you can get past that and evolve and grow up and take certain you know um take certain steps towards getting that yourself instead of just like being upset at someone for having more (laughs) like if you're Mm -hmm. taking actionable steps it's a good thing um so yeah we were totally different and i think that was part of maybe each other's frustrations because when 
you know, it would have been awesome if we could just work together. And it's hard being an individual sport that's part of a team. I think that's where a lot of the friction came from, just because it would be the team choosing, you know, whose plan they wanted to go forward with. And that's, I think, a lot of the reason why I decided to do more tech, because I saw Lindsay was going with the speed team, and I decided, you know, I'd rather go with the tech team and work on GS is my foundation and, and hopefully, you know, do those speed races too. But, um, I think that was probably a big reason of why I did that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what, what do you think was different about your approaches? I, I guess Lindsay's a very, you know, methodical person. Maybe you're a little bit more like, um, you know, carefree. I don't know if, is that, is that the right way to say it? Yeah, I mean, I think for sure I was more of a free spirit in our racing. But mm-hmm. I think, like, the biggest thing for me is I looked at it as, like, let's make a plan and there's enough winning for everyone. And I always felt like their team was very much like, we need to do everything so Lindsay wins. So I had this attitude of abundance and they, I've always felt like they had an attitude of keep away. And so that's where I had a hard time because I just felt like, why don't we all just work together to be the best together? Like we don't need, there doesn't need to be like my ski equipment testing is more important than yours. Like Mm. it's just always felt like it was a constant battle of what was more important. And I just wanted everything to be equal and for us all to just work together. And and more in the way of like Spindal and Jansrud in, in previous years. Yeah, like yes. if you look at the way the Norwegian team functioned, and even our own downhill team, I felt like the men's downhill team was a perfect example of that. Mm. Like, you know, when they had their camaraderie, like, let's work together, and it was just hard. So, yeah. But, um, but you I and Lindsay say, are, are great friends nowadays, right? Yeah, we've always been good friends. I think mm-hmm. that the, okay. yes. the, the hard part about it is more like where – the Olympics roll around or whatever, like Lindsay, the superstar and she's super focused and a lot on the line for her to win. And mm-hmm. for me, I just felt like I'm just another skier out here who wants to win too. So it's just different pressures and yeah. that just comes across as being different. And yeah, were we like giving each other tips in the heat, like best of times, <laughs> like probably not, but for sure towards the end, I, I mean, everything has its ebbs and flows and, mm-hmm. And yeah, it's always been a very, um, I think, charged relationship, but in a good way. Like, we've always been friends. Yeah, in a good way. And, you know, it probably, you guys probably drove each other to heights you didn't maybe otherwise would have gone to because you had this kind of good competition going on. Well, yeah, I mean, when I was younger, for both of us, when we're younger, it's like you can't just be the young talent because there's two young talents yeah. coming up so um there was for sure when we were younger and then i think everything equal it doesn't matter what age you are when you're on the world cup if you're winning you're winning but like when Lindsay was winning i was like okay now it's time for me to step up i need to win mm-hmm. yeah. like i'm not young anymore i don't need to hide <laughs> behind that excuse yeah um so you know this is something i'd like to talk about is the is the retirement from skiing because it seems like it's always a very, you know, big part of any skier's life. And it always seems like there's, it's, it's always tough and you kind of figure things out about yourself. So I wanted to ask you about retirement and if it was tough for you and if um, there were kind of things that new projects you found that helped replace skiing. Well, I've always been an entrepreneur. So as even from a young age, I was always like working on things on the road. I've always had that mindset. So in that sense, nothing has changed much. But I think it's hard to figure out what your real passion is, like finding a new passion and starting over. Mm -hmm. So I definitely have that once I retired. And especially because a part of me still wants to be out there. I feel like I didn't end completely satisfied. Like I definitely went through the ringer in the end and went for it but Mm -hmm. I still felt like oh if only I could be involved still or be racing still look so fun so it's hard and yeah I think the best thing that ever happened to me like I am super fortunate enough to have an amazing husband and to have now a one and almost one and a half year old so that has been a blessing Mm -hmm. um it was a little bit of a surprise I wasn't quite gonna have kids yet but um really I also am super lucky to have had such a long career where, you know, financially I can take a 
little bit of time to figure out what's next. So Mm -hmm. I'm, uh, but I very much sympathize with everyone retiring from Mm -hmm. a sport because it's hard. You're like, okay, where, what should I do now? Do I want to go into TV? Do I want to, you know, go into coaching? I mean, the cool thing about skiing is there are tons of options. And so being able to have such a great community and people to reach out to, to ask advice has been really nice. So I'm super grateful for that, but I definitely miss being a part of the action. Yeah. So I know that one of your projects right now is a podcast. um, And I listened to a a bit of it already. It's great. It's really cool stuff. And um, I'm actually not being paid to say this. So everyone, you should go check out. (laughs) um, It's called Just Be Yourself, right? Yes. Just be yourself with me. With Julie Mancuso. <laughs> yeah. Has that been fun? Um, it, it has. And it came as a surprise. I was actually doing a private podcast as a host and interviewing uh, athletes, actually, as part of it. For, and we did about four or five episodes a season. And I called the producer because I was kind of thinking of another idea but it was not doing my own podcast. And he sort of mentioned it. And I, you know, thought about it. And I've always been, um, you know, in my position, it's been really hard, like you mentioned, competing at the same time as Lindsay, and then having Michaela come up. And um, in my career, like, there were so many amazing ski racers from the US. Mm -hmm. And their stories were so huge that I felt like my story was never really told. So I have been thinking about this a lot. Do I want to write a book? Do I want to, you know, try to tackle a short documentary. And so I started talking to my producer of the podcast and he mentioned, why don't we just do one about you? You know, like I feel like you have so much to share and your story still hasn't been told yet. And, and that's where I sort of jumped on board and said, you know, that's a great place to start because I don't really have the energy to have, I just had a kid. I don't really have the energy to write a book, but I like talking and, I'm really passionate about sharing stories and really just sharing how I was able to reach my potential in a lot of situations and how I just truly believe everyone has it within themselves to reach their possible, the, you know, life's possibilities are really infinite. And, and that's the main theme of my career. And I always wanted to give back and inspire from there. So um, the podcast has been really fun and it's only just starting and I'm excited for the future of it because it's so far it's been an amazing project. And I love the part we do the audio documentary. So if you haven't listened. Yes, I love I love that format. Yeah. Yeah, I get to share with everyone sort of my everyday life because um it's funny and also well I think it's funny and actually you'll have to listen to the first episode because my mom calls me out and says that I am fun but not funny yeah so, uh, <laughs> I, I enjoyed it I thought it was funny well thank you mm-hmm. um but yeah it's fun to take people on the adventure and show mm-hmm. them um you know especially now everyone needs inspiration we're in yes like, a especially crazy now life. crazy times Crazy times. Well, Julia, it was great to have you. Um, I enjoyed talking. You know, there's, you have a million stories to tell. So I guess we'll have to get the rest of them on your podcast because I could talk all day with you. But we have to start wrapping it up. And my last question is, are you excited to ski this winter with your hip working great? And uh, yeah. I am. Uh, it's funny because one of my old coaches, he jokes with me all the time. Let's get you back in the course. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I joke back, like, I will not be in a race course, but I will enjoy skiing as much as I can. And I'm really excited to travel again. And yeah, thanks for having me. I'm really excited that you're using this sort of platform to share stories in the ski racing world, too. So good job. And yeah. thanks for having me. Yeah. Well, you know, maybe you've got a, um, if you get ever get that itch, you've got a whole master's career ahead of you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You've got a whole life ahead of you. Yes, I do. I know. I'm going to get back out there. Yeah. I was going to go to the pro races, you know, this last um this last season the pro tour. And those were canceled, so yeah. I'm going to have to start training up again. Yeah. You should. All right. Well, it was great to have you, Julia. Thanks. Have a good one. Thank you, Julia. 
for spending some time in Arc City, if you will, and taking time out of your busy schedule because I know she was busy. It was hard to nail her down. If you heard that page turn, I am looking at the cover of Skiing History, the Skiing History Journal, January, February 2019 edition. Now, I've got this page earmarked because I came to it out of total coincidence, but we just talked to Julia about surfing and her love of surfing and how, and how there's such a connection between skiing and surfing. And here we are. The title of this article is Skiing and Surfing, Separated at Birth. Two of the world's most popular adventure sports have inspired and influenced each other for more than half a century. So shout out Skiing History for allowing me to have a Skiing History segment. I think I'll do this every episode because it's kind of fun. Great quote right here. Snow riding and wave riding have many of the same followers who pursue both passions with one love. Soulful sports that employ water as their medium on liquid waves or frozen slopes. Both are artistic expressions of freedom in exciting and beautiful places. I mean, that's great. You know, Life Magazine, I guess, ran a story in 1965 called Aspen's Awful Surfer Problem. Apparently, surfers were obsessed with skiing, and they came up from the coast and from Hawaii and wherever to ski, and Life Magazine decided that it was a bad influence. Whatever partying and and shenanigans they got up to was a bad influence. Well, it's been quite the symbiotic relationship since then. And an example of that is this line right here that I want to read to you. A great little anecdote. In the 1980s, a former Bulgarian World Cup ski racer named Ivan Petkov got into windsurfing on the Black Sea while recouping from injuries. That sport eventually took him to Hawaii where he ran a surfing shop. His experience shaping surfboards led him to try it with skis, and resulted in the famous S-Skis, one of the first super side-cut designs introduced in 1993. Shaped skis were a seismic event in the history of ski design. As any ski racer nowadays knows, you know, escape skis are, it's, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be arcing without it, and there would not be an arc city without shaped skis. So, shout out even Petkoff for getting the ball rolling there. I know Bodie had a lot to do with shape skis and K2 and all that. But as I flip through here, there's examples of Jerry Lopez moving to Bend, Oregon and snowboarding. And it is a cool little anecdote. And with that, guys, I will leave you and I will see you again in two weeks. I'm going to start off bi-weekly on these episode drops. And if I have time, maybe it'll be weekly. If I don't, maybe it'll be monthly. Who knows? But I can guarantee you six, at least six episodes. It's not going to, it's going to be more than that, but I can guarantee you at least six episodes. And that's a guarantee from yours truly. Until next time, however, I'm Jimmy Krupka, and thank you for visiting Arc City.